Well, praise be to God. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm glad you're here, and Happy New Year, as this is our brand new day of our new year here in America. Happy New Year to all. Whether you're in Gospel Saving Church today or listening to us on SoundCloud or via podcast or whatever way you're coming to us today, you know that by doing so, uh, you're, you're showing God that He's important to you today. For any time we take our time away from what we're doing, anything what we're doing in this life, and we focus on God or we put our attention on God, that is definitely His will and it's very pleasing to Him. If this is your first time listening to me, hello, I'm Pastor Ed and I come to you from McKinney, Texas. And this is Gospel Saving Church and our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. All right, well, we always start with a word of prayer and ask God to bless the service and bless me and help me to speak it and help you to understand it because the good Lord knows that we can't understand anything about Him unless it comes through Him by His Holy Spirit. So let's ask the Lord for His help and ask the Lord to help us understand and, and help me to communicate to you and amongst other things. And let's begin. Lord, thank you so much for... Uh, just giving us a new day. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here so we could hear this message, Lord God. For whoever you may bring and whoever you may draw to hear this message, Lord, thank you that you drew them, Lord God, to, to hear this message and to hear your word today. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would help us understand what you have to tell us today, Lord. Please help me to, to speak what you have to say today and help the people that are listening to understand. Lord, as I just said, we can't understand anything unless your Holy Spirit tells us. So, Lord, we ask for just revelation. And, Lord, I ask for revelation, Lord, not just that we'd understand and that I'd be able to communicate, but, Lord, that that information, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, would come inside of us and change us, Lord God, that we would not be the same after this message or after today or after your, our encounter with you or after us hearing from you as we were before. Even if it's just little ways, maybe it's big ways, but maybe if it's, if it's just little ways, Lord, I pray that none of us would stay the same, that you would work on us and that you would change us, Lord. So thank you, Lord God, for all that you do and all that you will do and all that you've done in the past. And we just pray you, you keep doing what you're doing, Lord, because you are the greatest. We love you and praise you and thank you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. All right, well, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13 this week. We're taking a big chunk this week, for that's where we're going to be today. Uh, but I won't read them and teach them until after my thoughts on last week's message, Christmas 2016, Why Do You Celebrate Christmas? And a just a short recap of two weeks ago's message, the selection process, just to get us back up to speed so that we know what we're going into for today. So, in last week's special Christmas message, I spoke about what Christmas was all about and why, in my spiritual opinion, it's a good holiday to celebrate. Uh, I also said some hard things about getting all of you to examine what your real motives were and focus on what the celebration of Christmas was all about. Asking you this, why do you celebrate Christmas? Do you celebrate it and focus on it for the reason of Jesus Christ and his birth to come to save sinners or for the stuff that you get to get or the materialistic reasons for toys, cash, or whatever you're hoping that you could get for Christmas instead of Jesus Christ's birth? And I even admitted to you myself that I had to have take a step of repentance because I myself had fallen into the wrong idea, the wrong focus of this special day and I made it you know, on materialism instead of on Christ. Well... To that, I have to say, you know, shame on me for doing that and really shame on you for celebrating and moving your focus off of the, the reason for the season, we'll call it. 
now, if you've fallen into Satan's trap for this focus of materialism for Christmas and not Christ, like I had, it's time really for you to take a step of repentance, as it was for me. As I had to take a step of repentance, now it's time for you. And that would be apologizing to God, you know, for this error and turning back to making Christ why he came to earth to, you know, to make him the focus of the season instead of the stuff, right? And then not just repenting with words, but making your actions that way as well too. Stop being, you know, all about going out and doing this or getting that or all about telling other people what you wanted, but being more about, hey, this, this season is about Christ and why he came and for me and the gift of God to sinners, you know, instead of wanting all that stuff. If you've fallen into Satan's trap on this holiday, the sad but true fact is this. I'm not excusing my sin or yours, but you know what? It's easy, as a true Christian, even it's easy to fall off the path sometimes. It's easy to lose our way now and again, you know. Uh, sometimes it's in little ways that we could lose our ways, and sometimes it's in big ways. But you got to think about this. Off just one degree is as bad as off 10 degrees. If you're just off one degree to the moon, you'll never make it. Just even off one degree. It's not on the money, honey, even if it's 0.01 degree off. You're not on the money, honey. So uh, the definition of sin, which is what that is, is the missing the mark. So even if you've lost your focus on Christmas or whatever the focus that you've lost or thing that you, you've fallen away on, it's missing the mark. It's, it's sin to God. Uh, how did I lose my way and how did you lose your way, you say? Well, the walk in the Spirit in Christ is hard. The Bible says Jesus said it's hard, it's difficult. The, the, the road is narrow and it's really easy to accidentally step off sometimes. We may not be wanting to or willfully trying to, but it just happens sometimes and then just, we just blow it. And although the God would prefer that we never get off track, if we find ourselves off one degree or two from God's ways, like focusing on materialism for Christmas, not Christ, and it's always important that we come to repentance and get it right as soon as God shows it to us. And this process is actually, a, it's a biblical process. I mean, because God knows that we're going to fall. So what did he do? He had a psalmist write about it. Or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, he had somebody, uh, one of his children write a proverb about it. And the proverb is uh, Proverb 24, 16. It says this, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. And what I mean by that, and what God means by that is, the righteous man, although he may stumble sometimes, hey, he doesn't stay in that sin. He doesn't continue in that sin. He doesn't wallow in that sin. He falls and, oh man, what did I do? And then he gets back up and, God forgive me, brushes himself off and he goes back on. And a righteous man may do that seven times and he rises again. But the wicked, well, see, the wicked, they fall into sin and then they just stay in sin. They continue to walk in that sin. They continue, hey, I made, you know, materialism is the way I want to go, and they just keep on going. They, they know they're wrong. God's showing them they're wrong. And they, well, you know what? Hey, Christ is in there, but you know what? I want stuff. And that's the wicked way to do it, to stay in that stuff. So uh, if you found like me that you've fallen onto the path of mainly focusing on materialism for Christmas instead of Christ, then repent quickly and rise up and away from this sin and wickedness, like Proverbs 24 says that a righteous person should, instead of continuing to wallow in it or stay in it like a wicked person does. Again, God doesn't like it when we sin, but if we do, he desires that we repent. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 15, 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And for instance, nobody's really just, okay, 
But the person that thinks that they don't have sin, well, they think I'm holy, so they think I'm not in need of repentance. So they don't ever repent thinking, oh, well, I'm just and I'm, I'm righteous. All right, anyway. All right, those are my thoughts on last week's special Christmas message. Now for a quick recap of the last section we studied, the last sermon, the selection process, to bring us up to speed for today. In the last section we studied two weeks ago, we learned that Peter and the other apostles picked a new apostle, and we read about how they went about doing that. They set some pretty steep requirements for their new apostle, but they used holy, mostly wisdom, and picked a couple of really great godly guys that they set before the Lord so that he could give them the final say on which new guy that they should pick. Then remember, they had 12 apostles. Judas died, leaving a hole. God wanted him to have 12, so they needed to pick a new man because they were a man short. What did God do? He chose Matthias, and they had a complete crew. That was the just of what we spoke about in two weeks ago's sermon, uh, the selection process. Just to get us back up to speed, the event that follows the choosing of Matthias is as follows, our new sermon for today. The title today, The Promise of the Father. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 with me, if you would, or you may listen along. Luke writes to us, and he says this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, our Not all those who spoke Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Perga and Pamphylonia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocked, saying, They are full of new wine. So the new apostle Matthias just comes into the fold of the eleven, and Luke tells us here that in verse 1 that they were all together, the twelve along with the rest of the about 120, with one accord, when the day of Pentecost had finally come. There are some really neat things that I want to speak about here in this verse before we move to the next one. All of these about 120 disciples slash apostles were all together with one accord, which means they were all still together in Jerusalem, in the second floor apartment, in prayer, agreeing as one, being together as one, in the body of Christ, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Fully come in their day would mean that the day wasn't just a, you know, right the minutes of the day. It had fully come during the day. Verse 15 here tells us, Luke tells us, that they were in the third hour of the day, which would be about 8 to 9 o'clock of our time, or Roman time. And the day of Pentecost is the Jewish festival that they celebrated every year. It's, the, it's, it's for them to remember the giving of the Torah and to have uh, the harvest festival. Uh, the Jewish name for the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost is kind of a, you know, the, the, a New Testament thing but in, the, in a Christian type thing, but the, the Jewish name is Shavat, and it is the Jewish festival of weeks. It's an Old Testament 
something that the Jews celebrated from when God had them celebrated from, from centuries back. And lastly, Luke tells us here that they were all still together, remember, all together, all crammed in this one room, or not one room, but this one kind of small apartment, these about 120 people, during Shabbat, or when Pentecost had fully come. It was about a two-day festival. But just how long exactly were the disciples in Jerusalem after Christ's ascension in this second floor apartment together in prayer in one accord, waiting for the promise of the Father that, you know, that came at Pentecost? For starters, in case you didn't know, the day of Pentecost, or Shabbat, is 50 days from Passover. Penta is, is a, you know, obviously a prefix meaning five or 50. Pentecost is what they were, so it's 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. So were these dedicated disciples actually in this upper room and waiting a full 50 days for the promise of the Father to come after Jesus Christ died on the cross? Short answer, no, but how do we know? How do we know that they weren't there for a full 50 days? That's an awful long time to be in one up, you know, second floor apartment 50 days. But they weren't. But how do we know? Well, see, Christ died during the Passover celebration of the Jews. And that would be within our calendar months of March slash April, you know, within those. Or the Jewish month of Nisan, the first month of their Jewish calendar. And at that time when Christ died, they were not in this second floor apartment just yet. So we're going to have a countdown. A 50-day countdown. And at this day, Passover was the 50th day before Pentecost, right? Number two, Bible tells us that Christ was in the grave three full days. Well, 50 minus 3 is 47. So now we're 47 days, and yet the disciples were still not in this second floor room yet, or this apartment yet. After he resurrects from the grave, Jesus reveals himself to the disciples and Luke tells us in Acts 1-3 that he revealed himself by walking amongst them for 40 days. And that they still weren't in this second floor apartment just yet. So now 40 plus 3, so we're at 43 days now, that they weren't there of these 50. On this 43rd day, Jesus walks out to the Mount of Olives with his disciples, or the Mount called Olivet, right? Where he gives them the direction to stay in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father come. And he ascends into heaven with them looking on. They go back now to the upper room, but this is day 43. They're still not there, but they go back there to this upper second floor apartment. And it's day 43. Then after they watch him go to heaven, again, they return to this upper second floor apartment where they wait all together like we find them here. All together in prayer. Uh, Doing the math, they were only in this second floor apartment the way we find them here in Acts 2 for about seven days before the promise of the Father was given them and the day of Pentecost had fully come. Timeline in Scripture, in case you want to know when this was, right? This seven-day prayer meeting, seeking God for His help, the time they chose the Apostle Matthias, so on and so forth, continued till about chapter 2, around verse 45. We don't have the time of after the day of Pentecost that this happened, but we know it wasn't that long Because right after that, they still stay together, but they're not in this upper room. Instead, they go around into Jerusalem and all, you know, the area, and they they practice their Christianity from house to house. You'll see that as we go through in Acts chapter 2 and throughout the rest of the book Acts, as we continue to go on, that they didn't stay in this upper room. But from the time Christ died to the time that the day of Pentecost come, they were only in the room for seven days. Days. I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, why did I go through this interesting stuff? Why did I go through this, you know, I thought was interesting stuff? Well, I love interesting facts about time, situations, and scenes in Scripture. 
when I was a young Christian, you know, I was in the Lord. I had only saved for a couple of years and God got me into a good church. And I sat under this really neat pastor who always used to give these scenes and these, these landscapes and these times. And he, I always, he, he, he would speak in a way where I could almost kind of see the, the, what he was talking about. And my goal, why I, you know, believe that God led me to do this here is I want to help you. I hope it's successful and I'm not boring. I want to help you do the same thing. I want you to help you help you visualize the scripture. See, well, how long was it? You know, how long were they together? Because we had talked about how they were in the room and how they were all together. And you know, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ as much as anybody. But I still know that I mean, were they in the room for were they in this apartment for 50 days, like a whole month and a half? I mean, that'd be an awful long time. I mean, you know, to be together in a prayer meeting and, you know, they'd be sleeping together, eating together, trying to go to the chair of the bathroom in the place. I mean, that's a long time to be together without leaving and without going on and doing anything. But, but really, in essence, they were only there for about seven days and then a little time afterwards until they started going out and practicing their Christianity. So anyway, they're all together. One really big prayer meeting, about 120 people in attendance. It's a, it's a full house. And seeking God in one accord is one, one in the body of Christ and still in Jerusalem, being obedient to the command of Christ that he had given them this seven days before. And while they are, look what happens next. They're obedient to the Lord, they, which God, you know, he rewards obedience. And they're obedient to the Lord and they, they're in this room and they're all kind of like, smooshed into this one apartment, all these 120 people or so. And suddenly, verse 2, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And think about this situation. So they're all together. Oh, Lord, you know, Jesus, thank you for your death and thank you, whatever they're doing, right? They just picked Matthias, and all of a sudden, this sound fills the whole house and and all of a sudden they're like whoa i couldn't imagine it tells us later that the people that were down below heard this noise and they were like whoa what's that and then they heard him speaking so as it weren't take us you know 30 minutes or 45 minutes to go through what they went through the people there were all instantaneously they heard this noise and it was a powerful noise such a powerful noise that the people were down below were like whoa they 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 kind of wait what is that you know oh my gosh What's going on? Is it a hurricane? Or is it, what's going on? You know, I, woo, wow. And it was so powerful. Think about a rushing, mighty wind filling a whole house. And that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty intense scene. Luke is not saying here that this was a literal wind, but just a noise. So when you're thinking about this, they didn't have hair and wigs and togas and dresses and papers and scriptures and other things blowing around like in a hurricane, but it was a really powerful sound that filled the whole house. Now, although it was just the sound of a rushing mighty wind, it must have been a very powerful sound, as Luke tells us here, that it filled the whole house. When I think about this rushing mighty wind sound, I think of a sound so strong and so powerful that they actually felt it. Similarly, I was when I was saved about 16 or 17 years ago, and the Holy Spirit came into me, and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit by fire, as the disciples did here, because mine was simultaneous. There was no sound, but when the Holy Spirit came into the room with me, I was frozen. Like the power, this power filled the whole house. I didn't have a sound, but this power filled the whole room that I was in and I couldn't move. And as to my memory, I don't believe anybody was home with me. So the power may have been even through my whole house, but it was definitely filled. It definitely filled this whole living room that I was in and he froze me. 
God's power is all around me at first, and then God spoke to me, and I surrendered to Christ and kind of bowed my knee in my heart. I was already on my knees, but in my heart I said, I yielded to the Lord. And then he put his Holy Spirit and his, the fire and the power within me, and, and I was born again, and I was saved, and I had God's work to do, his, or I had God's power to do the kingdom work right then and right there, and it was a similar situation to exactly what the disciples went through here, minus the sound. Speaking of how God's Holy Spirit froze me like a statue when he came to the room with me, look at what happens when God's Holy Spirit came to these first apostles and disciples in this moment in time when God was giving out his promise. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 reads, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each one of them. That's important. I want to point that out here in just a minute. Something that I've never heard a pastor speak on before. So this whole, so the Holy Spirit comes into the room with them, just like he did with me, except here we read that he appeared to them in the form of divided fire tongues. It, this must have been an amazing experience. I know mine was an amazing experience, but I didn't have a sound of a rushing wind, and I didn't see any, any tongues of fire or anything you know, before me. But something I've never heard about anybody speak here before, and even if you search out this thing online and you go to Google Pics or something, it always only shows a fiery divided tongue sitting on top of their heads. Yet, what do we read here? Something I've missed for years because I didn't study it out like I study it for church because I've read the book of Acts like probably 20 times. Look at verse 3 again. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and. Well, that word and and one sat on each one of them. That word and means that there were two manifestations of this fiery divided tongue, one that they saw in front of them. So imagine they're sitting there in this violent rushing wind, and all of a sudden they see in front of them, and it may have just been one that they all saw, kind of one divided fiery tongue, or they may have each seen their own specific one, but then after they saw it, then all of a sudden, oh wait, then oh, holy there there's one on everybody's heads. Because they probably didn't look up and see the one on their own head. They probably just saw the one that was on their partner's heads because it was 120 people. There's a lot of people there. So here we read two manifestations of the Holy Spirit to disciples of this fiery divided tongue. Not one. One that they saw with their eyes in front of them and one that sat, excuse me, on each one of their heads. As I said, the pics that you find all online are always only the fiery divided tongue sitting on top of their heads. Never one that they see in front of their eyes. I thought that was a neat little uh, you know, golden nugget God showed me here. And of course, this was just the form that the Holy Spirit took at this time to show the disciples and the apostles that he was there. Does the Holy Spirit really only look like a fiery divided tongue? Well, he does here, but this is not the only true form of the Holy Spirit. This is not his only true form. Remember when John the Baptist uh, baptized Christ in the Jordan, Matthew three sixteen, he showed up in the form of a what? He showed up in the form of a dove, descending like a dove and aligning upon him. Is God's Holy Spirit bound to hold just a couple of forms? Well, I believe that the Spirit, even God's Holy Spirit, is not bound by any one true form. For just like the Spirit that's within us is without form, I believe that God's Holy Spirit is without form. Remember Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God doesn't give us any specific form here at all. Just the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, I believe that God's Holy Spirit is not bound by any one solid true form, as the Spirit that's with us has no official true form, but we know that from time to time and what happens with Christ 
getting baptized and the disciples here in this upper second floor apartment that he can take one. Is there any particular reason he took a form of a fiery tongue where the disciples were in front of the disciples and on the top of the disciples' heads? I believe that God has a reason for everything he does. In fact, I don't believe that God ever does anything without meaning. He means that whatever he does, he does for a reason. And I believe that just just like he does everything for a reason, he did this for a reason. What was God's reasoning for showing up here to the disciples in front of them and sitting on their heads as divided fiery tongues before entering them? Well, as we already read forth in our scripture, God is just about to do something very special and amazing using language. Right? He uses each of their mouths to speak these special languages to reach out to all these people. And well, what does a tongue, to me, a tongue would mean well speak. And here we see that the disciples speak in these special languages to these people. Look at verse 4. Uh, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. It was another tongue as the Spirit gave them utterance. So I'm guessing that each of these disciples saw this Holy Spirit in the form of the divided fiery tongue. They were waiting for the promise of the Father. They figured, hey, the sound of a rushing wind, the Old Testament, a sound of the rushing wind always meant kind of God's Spirit, God's Holy Spirit. And they saw Him sitting on each other's heads, and they each strongly desired to have this promise of the Father. So, of course, the Holy Spirit recognizing that, because, you see, God is a gentleman. He'll never do anything or force anything against your will. If these disciples would have all been there and the Holy Spirit would have showed up and in each one of their hearts they would have been, oh my gosh, let me get out of here. Then of course I think God would have left because God's not going to force anything upon anybody. But of course they yielded to him in their hearts as well too here and the Holy Spirit came inside of them. The power, I should say, of God's Holy Spirit came inside of them for God won't force his gifts or anything upon anyone. The result of this promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit's fire and power to do The work that God called them to do is each one of them spoke in different tongues or languages as God's Spirit gave them ability. So here the purpose of the Holy Spirit showing up in the form of a fiery tongue was to represent how they were going to speak in these different languages of the people that were walking around on the streets below. And of course, God's purpose of speaking to those peoples and their languages was to get their attention, of course, so God could share Jesus Christ with them, which is what we're going to read about next week. Did God giving them the ability at this time to speak in these different languages work to reach the people who had come to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost? These, as verse 3 tells us, and they were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Did God's plan work? Look at verses 5 through 13. There were those dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, remember I told you, when they heard the sound, the multitude came together. So it was like, wow, what's that noise? And they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not these those who speak uh, are Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Uh, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Perga, Pamplonia, Egypt and parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others Others mocking said they're full of new wine, but nevertheless, whether or not whatever they thought of what happened, God got their attention. So, of course, what God did to get their attention, it worked. It worked like a charm. For, you know, God's shown me one thing. He knows the very best way 
to get our attention. No matter whether you're going to receive or not receive, whatever or not, because I believe in the Bible says God reaches out to everybody, but he still knows the very best way to reach every person on the planet to tell them about his son. And as we're going to read next, we're going to read Peter's sermon. Hey, now that all these people, God's got their attention, Peter's going to preach an amazing sermon. And we're not, I'm not going to get to that this week though, but that's next week. But uh, anyway, does God baptize those whom get saved with the promise of the Father today? Does he still do that today? Does God still fill people with his Holy Spirit? Does God still give out spiritual gifts? Absolutely. When does Scripture say that he stopped? My famous noise, right? Scripture never says that God stopped giving out his special gifts to his children. All this recording was here was just the first time that God did it to any of his followers. Think on what Christ said. I want you to think about this because I'm writing a little book right now that's going to be refuting a very evil ideology that we have in our Christendom today. But this, this idea that God's brought upon my, uh, this idea that God has brought about on my path is Matthew chapter 24, and it's the parable of the talents. And something that God showed me here in this is that the, that the, the master was going away, and he gives out these talents, five and then three and then one. And when does it say that these servants had these talents until? Well, if you read the parable over carefully, it says that they still have these talents, which are the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when Christ comes back. So therefore, we know these talents are the gifts and the Holy Spirit that God gives people to serve Him for His kingdom. And so we have Christ leaving. And of course, in this one parable, we don't read that, you know, we don't read that Jesus went to heaven and stayed there for 2,000 years or more or whatever. But it just gives us all one snippet that He Ghost that he leaves, which we know is him going to heaven. And then when he comes back, he kind of requires from his servants, those whom he gave the talents to, he, he requires back what their interest, you know, something that he wanted back from them for doing, you know, giving them out. So, so in essence, we have Christ leaving and Christ coming back and the disciples or apostles or people of God continuing to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit the whole entire time that Christ is when he leaves and then when he comes back, which means that he was giving them out the whole time and that all the Christians that were alive while he was gone or when he, when he left all had them and continued to receive them, which meant that God never is ever going to stop giving out his Holy Spirit gifts and the Holy Spirit to save people until he comes back. And of course, there won't be needing, we won't be needing that anymore because we'll all, we'll be able to go and be with the Father. And what are we going to need be filled with the Holy Spirit for when we're with God in heaven, right? So God never, God absolutely still gives out his Holy Spirit and his seal on people to save them, as John 20, 22 says. And he still pours out his Holy Spirit to baptize those who are saved with his Holy Spirit so they can have God's fire and power to do the works that he's called them to do. And will continue to give out this promise until Christ returns, as I just said, Matthew 24, parable of town shows us. All I'd say, praise God. Praise God for the way he equips his saints, the way he equipped his saints back then, and the way he's still equipping his saints today for all that he does for his children and even all that he does for the lost. For crying out loud, God is the one that moves on people's hearts so that they can even be saved. Without God's calling and drawing us to him, nobody would get saved. That doesn't mean everybody responds, but by golly, God calls and draws everybody so that they could even have a chance to respond. 
switching gears here a little bit on us now. I can't teach on this section of scripture without speaking a little bit about a very controversial topic that people have created with this an idea of the promise of the Father or the baptism of fire and the speaking in tongues that God gave to these first disciples here in this second floor apartment in Jerusalem. Many believe that if someone has truly been saved and has truly been baptized by God's promise, Holy Spirit's fire and power, as the disciples were here, that they will absolutely 100% speak in tongues just as the disciples did here. In fact, they go so far as to say this, mostly this is the Pentecostal religion, they go mostly to say this, that... uh, in their entire section of you know denomination of Christianity, they believe that if you do not speak in tongues, if you do not utter this heavenly voice, then you are not even saved and you are not born again. They even have a flagship kind of section of scripture that they believe that proves what they say 100%. And I'm going to read it over for you because I'm not afraid. I, I believe that um, that is not the accurate way. I do not believe that everybody that's saved shall have this heavenly language and this heavenly tongue, and I believe that Scripture tells us that. This, their flagship Scripture is Mark 16, verses 14 through 18. Listen to what the Bible tells us, what Christ says to us upon this certain type of thing of speaking in tongue. It says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who baptizes, or he who believes is baptized, and is baptized will be saved. And he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful. In my name, he said, they will for sure, that those who follow me will for sure, in my name, they'll cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up servants. And, they, and if they drink anything deadly, it by no means harm them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I will admit, the statement that Jesus makes there, these signs will follow those who believe. And then listing off how they believe that every truly saved person will speak in tongues uh, is pretty convincing. I do believe that what their denomination believes is pretty convincing. But is Christ saying, that every believer will absolutely 100% speak in tongues as something they'll do, and that'll be a proof of their salvation. Is this really true? Uh, well, it may seem that, that what, that's what Christ is saying, but if we just look a little closer at what he says, we will see that there is something missing that makes speaking in tongues for all who are saved a false belief. What does he say? Well, look a little closer. Focus on verse 17 of Mark 16. He says this. And these signs will follow. So that's 100%. The sign, these signs that he gives will follow those whom believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons, they'll speak in new tongues. The one thing that's missing there, I want to point out to you guys, if you're sitting there going, oh, come on, Pastor, that's what Jesus just said, all oh, you know, people believe the world. The one thing that's missing there, on all that believe, on all that are saved speaking in tongues, is this word, the word all. Did Jesus ever say the word all in regards to those who would do the works and have these certain spiritual gifts? My famous noise. "Eh." 
No, he did not. He never said the word all. And am I sure that I'm not just misreading what Jesus says? I mean, maybe he meant to say all that followed him would, you know, do these things. But I'm just, you know, maybe he just didn't say it. Maybe he just forgot it there. Maybe we're just supposed to impose it in there, right? Including the speaking of tongues. Maybe he meant to say all, but just didn't. Well, if Jesus really meant to say all would speak in tongues that were saved, then there would be, I hate to tell you this, there would be a huge contradiction in God's word. For the Bible would contradict itself because Paul speaks about this same subject in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Listen to what he says. He says this, and in, in including on the speaking of spiritual gifts and speaking of tongues. Now concerning spiritual gifts, he writes, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant, which means that, hey, I want you to know this truth even now, because, you know, I think some of these, maybe some people have got it wrong, right? He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants us to know the full truth. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away uh, to these dumb idols, however, how, or however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can see that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Listen to what he says. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one, he didn't say to all, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. That was one type that was given to one type of person, to another, you could say person, to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit, now that's two, to another, faith by the same spirit, that's three, to another, gifts of healings by the same spirit, he didn't say that everybody gets all these, he said to one, to one, to one, to one, meaning to separate individuals, to another, the working of miracles, that's five, to another, prophecy, that's six, to another, discerning of spirits, that's seven, to another, Different kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things. Listen to the final, final thing he says. Distributing to each one individually as he wills. Paul never said that all Christians would be able to lay hands on people and they'd recover. Christ never said that all people that would follow him would Speak in new tongues. Paul says here, to another, different kinds of tongues. Meaning to a, whoever God chooses. Hey, that's my child. Hey, he'll be, a, be able to speak in tongues. Now, do I believe that we can't pray and ask God for more? Absolutely not. I believe that we can, hey, Lord, you know, I really want to do that. But do I say the scripture says all people who are saved must 100% speak in tongues and then that is a proof of their salvation because everybody must? Well, no, absolutely not. In fact, I've heard some, some sad you know, news coming out of people that were in those denominations that people would even fake speaking in tongues just so the people in the church would actually believe them to be saved. Because they, by golly, if you don't speak in tongues and the whole denomination believes you've got to speak in tongues to be saved and you come in and you don't, but you, you, know, you love God and you read his word and you, you, you know, you've even healed people before and you've raised people from there, but you don't speak in tongues, well, by golly, well, you're not saved to them. So these people had to lie in order to actually make the church believe that they're even saved because, well, well, they, well, Jesus said that the people would follow, would do these things. Well, you're right. 
100% we're going to get to this a little bit. 100% of people that are saved shall have a spiritual gift. For Jesus said that they would. But they, he did not say that all would have every one of the same gifts as Paul says here. And if he did, there'd be a contradiction in the Bible for Paul writes an inspiration even but what the Holy Spirit told him upon what Christ said there in Mark 16. So hands down, there's no way that there's a contradiction in God's word ever. And there's no way that either Jesus Christ or Paul are saying that all Christians will have all the same spiritual gifts. For, for there, right in verse 11, Paul says that God distributes to each one individually as he wills. Not that he gives all the different spiritual gifts to all believers. This is ridiculous, but people still believe that someone is really saved and they will we'll for sure speak in tongues, speaking of all whom are saved. And of course, all this is done in the Christian church is bring one word. It's brought division. That's what this is done. People haven't read the scriptures over carefully, and it's brought division. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I know who's put this idea in men's hearts. Don't believe it's God or his Holy Spirit. I believe it's the devil. But believe it or not, you know, that's what people believe. And, and on the far-reaching spectrum, I don't know if there's anybody else that even believes this, but I have a brother in the Lord who really loves God with all his heart, but he doesn't even believe that God gives the, the, spirit, the gift of tongues at all anymore at all. Of course, his, his reasoning behind that is not scriptural. It, it's, it's his main reason. Well, look at the, the destruction it's brought to that one denomination of church. So he looks at the result of what they believe that all are supposed to. And instead of looking at scripture to see what the truth is, he looks at just the destruction that this idea, which is not biblical, has brought into this one denomination. Well, you can't look at the destruction of what the denomination brings into the denom- or what the teaching brings into the denomination because if the teaching's not godly, which this one's not godly, then the denomination's going to be screwed up and they're going to be heading sideways. So you can't just throw a, a, an idea out, out the out, out the window because one denomination it's hurt one denomination because the teaching on that idea was false and it's not the right ways. It should be those whom God wills. And hey, if you've got that, praise God. I've been in the church before where somebody spoke in a tongue and then we sat for a few minutes because they used to have this time where they used to allow and then somebody else would say, hey, uh, this is what the Lord's put on. So, so then that person had the gift of interpreting that spiritual gift because I didn't know what the heck that guy or that girl said. They, oh, no, no, no. oh, wow, that's, ooh, that was pretty neat. Well, I, have, I had no idea, but somebody spoke up and did. Well, that was the body of Christ working together. One had it while one interpreted. But the Bible nowhere says that all get all get the spirit of speaking in tongues and that all must have it and then that is for sure a sign of their salvation. We must be careful to examine all of God's holy word to figure out what's true of a doctrine if somebody has one. We really need to search out God's word to see even if something that somebody thinks or says is even a doctrine at all. Christians, we really need to be really careful not just dump on all that's what they say so that's the truth is because a lot of things people say are, are not true and they're from the devil even in the church. So, uh, not 100% of all people will speak in tongues, but definitely 100% of some people that are saved will have that spiritual gift as God sees fit to give it to them. Scripturally, we can't really argue with these points. I mean, what, what I said, how can you argue? To some he gives this, to some he gives that, to some he gives this. He didn't say to all he gives this, to all he gives that. He would have just, he could have condensed that whole section down and said, hey, to all, God gives all the spiritual gifts and you better, rec- you know, you better sit up because if you don't have them, then you're in trouble. He didn't say that. 
said to some, to some, to some. So scripturally, we can't argue with these points because the Bible speaks plainly about them as you heard today. Anyone that wants to argue with me on this, hey, I'm just going to bounce your argument right off and I'm just going to, hey, you argue with the scripture because the Bible is 100% true. And it's hard to misinterpret when somebody says, to some he gives this, to some he gives that, to some he gives that. There's no other way that you could possibly translate that to, to see it that way. I'm just looking exegetically at the Bible here. Again, God does still give spiritual gifts, the same ones he gave to the first century disciples in the second floor apartment, and the ones that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 12. But it's his choice to give whom he wills the gifts that he wills, unless, again, you desire something. And, you know, the best gifts we know that Jesus even said you can ask. And, you know, if it's God's will that you do have that, because it's maybe good for his kingdom for you to have that, then, hey, he'll give it to you, right? So that is an absolute true thing. Something else we can formulate from the scripture I discussed today is this. If you are saved, then you should be exhibiting some spiritual gift 100%. For God gives his spiritual gift to a hundred percent of his people. He doesn't give the same ones, maybe, you could have, but not necessarily, but he will give you a spiritual gift. According now, going off scripture, according to Mark 16, where those who follow me will for sure, in a sense, have these things. So we know that a hundred percent, if you're a Christian, then you will have, in Matthew 24, parable of talents, having these gifts when Christ returns. For 100% for sure, if you're saved, you will for sure have some spiritual gift. So the $6 million question today is this. If you believe yourself to be saved, what spiritual gift or gifts do you have? Because again, the Bible said that God gives spiritual gifts to his kids 100%. That means that if you're saved, then you 100% will have a spiritual gift or gifts from God. You probably won't have them all. I believe the only one that operated in them all is Christ Jesus, for he had the fullness of everything, and he was, of course, God in the flesh. But you sure should at least have one. So you need to please judge yourself today. I'm asking you, if you please judge yourself today. There's a lot of people in the church, there's a lot of people in our world today that believe themselves to be saved, Yet, when you talk to them and they know nothing about Scripture and they know nothing, and, they, and, and, and you ask them what they do for God, they do nothing for God, and, and that, yet they live, in, and they live in, in ways contrary to God, and yet they still call themselves you know, a child of God, it's kind of hard for me to believe if there's no proof in the pudding. I have this whole saying, proof in the pudding. Where's your proof in the pudding? If you touch a you know, brand new fresh bowl of pudding in the fridge and you make a mark in it and you take a little out, well, that mark's always going to be there. If God's touched you and you're saved, then you ought to have some mark of God on you. That's what the Bible says with the scriptures we read today. Let's note again, 1 Corinthians 12, just 8 through 10. For to one is given wisdom. This would be the understanding of God's word. When you read God's word, you go, oh yeah, does God speak to you in his word? Because that's a spiritual gift. Then does God speak to you in his word? Oh yeah, oh thank you, Lord. Oh yeah, oh I never saw that before. Uh, I, I, in fact, I was just thinking this morning, I, I, I talked to my wife about it. I, <clears throat> I was sitting there doing my final edit on the sermon and a few weeks back or a couple weeks back, I had made the, the notion that this wasn't just because the Bible in that section had said that they were, in a, they were in a second floor room or they were in an upper room. And I, and I think that was a bad translation because even as I noticed today where it says that the Holy Spirit, the wind and the rushing came in and filled the whole house. 
So I had said then, I don't think that they meant room. I think that they meant more like a kind of flat or a second floor apartment because, sir, you can't fit about 120 people in a small room because we're in a small room right now and you couldn't put 120 people in here without being body to body. And certainly these guys aren't going to be there for seven days, body to body in an upper room. I mean, wow, we're right. So I, I had said it was a second floor apartment. Well, then today, as I was doing my final edit and the scripture said, and the whole and the Holy Spirit's wind filled the whole house. Well, we know then that it wasn't just a little room, but I had never seen that before. Well, yes, I was right a few weeks ago when I said it was more like a little apartment because hey, guys, the wisdom that God's given me—that's a that's a that's a spiritual fruit that God has blessed me with through being saved. So that's one of the gifts of the Spirit that I have—the wisdom of God's word. He says to the Spirit, uh, to another, knowledge, special—you know, not special. Don't, don't get me wrong, not special knowledge, but godly knowledge—the knowledge of the ways of God, not specialty knowledge like the Gnostics, but knowledge, just intimate knowledge of God that He gives you, that He shares with you through the same Spirit. To another, faith, he says, that faith is a spiritual gift. Now, we're not talking about just head belief in God. We're not talking about, oh, I, oh, I believe in Jesus. No, we're talking about a converting faith. A faith that Jesus is, unless you have faith as a little child, you, you shall, or unless you are converted to have the faith of a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the faith, this is the spiritual gift that God gives. Faith, the faith to, to be converted, to be like a little child. Uh, to the same spirit, to another, gifts of healings. Have you ever laid your hand on someone and then they healed you? You prayed for their healing and then they got healed. That's a spiritual gift of the spirit. To another, working of miracles. Have you ever prayed for something or or spoke to the clouds or spoke to the rain and then they stopped and and you've done miracles? Maybe you've helped somebody raise somebody from that. That'd be a spiritual, be a great spiritual gift to know that you were truly you know really saved. To, to another prophecy, has God let you know things that were coming in the in the in the future and then you said them and then oh they they came to pass. Prophecy that's a gift of the spirit. To another discerning of spirits, being able to have the discernment to know who is it that talked to you, who is it that you're hearing. Is that is that really God or? Is that really, you know, is that, is that, no, it doesn't sound like God. I and mean, if there's a different, if there's a, if there's a little schism in you, then you have a discerning of the spirits as a spiritual. Hey, I know that that's not right. I've that that's happened to me a lot. To another, different kinds of tongues. Hey, to another, different. We can speak in tongues. We can speak in other languages as God gives us ability or the interpretation of tongues. These are great ways to know that you are saved, but not that all would have them, but to some they would get them. Do you have these things? Is God's fingerprints on you? Paul Ephesians 4.11, he gives us some more. And he says, this, he says this, he himself will give some to be apostles. That means that God has sent you to do a special work sent you to start a church, sent you to a specific job to do a certain specific amount of duties for him. You'd be an apostle for God, doing things for him. He says some prophets, meaning that you would foretell things, God would show you things and you'd prophesy. Some evangelists, the gift of evangelism is actually a spirit, uh, something, a gift of the spirit. You can go out there and you could talk to people about Jesus and man, the words just come and you just, man, you, boom, and there it is and there it is and you tell them things and show them things that, that blow their head off because wow, oh my gosh, that's really true about God? Evangelism. Some pastors, some teachers, these are all spiritual gifts that God gives through His Holy Spirit. And if you are truly saved, then you ought to have at least one of these spiritual gifts. That's what Jesus said in Mark 16. 
Then you even have the basics of salvation outside of the spiritual gifts that I just mentioned that happen kind of supernaturally to people once they get saved and born again. We have what, what you're going to be straying away from. Paul first in Galatians 5, 19-24. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, operas of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Somebody that's really saved and walking with God is going to not do these things. They're going to not practice lewdness. They're going to not practice fornication. They're going to not practice adultery. And if you're saved, one of your spiritual kind of thumbprints that you should have from God is that you shouldn't be practicing these things. Or if you have, you've fallen away and you're on the way to hell again. So you you ought to look at yourself. Examine yourself. Do I have the fingerprint of God? Do I have the spiritual gifts that God has given me, the ones that the Bible talks about? Not that this guy says, but hey, he's reading them right, for script, right from Scripture. Or, or, or do, I, do I live in these sinful ways and practice these sinful ways? Because these are ones that where people don't have the fingerprint of God, or these are people that are running away from God. And in a sense, you're not right with God. But he goes on, 22 and 23, here's more spiritual fruit that you should have being saved. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That means you're, you're hanging in there during the tough times and you're, you're sticking it out for God. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. Again, ladies and gentlemen, many in our world believe themselves to be saved and heaven-bound, but are they really Jesus said in Scripture that many would go the way to destruction and few would be saved. And upon the few, which one are you? The few, the Bible says, have crucified the flesh with its lusts and passions and they don't practice a lifestyle like that Paul told us about where all those sinful things, they don't practice those things. While the few make it their aim to practice righteousness, serve God, operate in the spiritual gifts that he's given them. And they operate and they serve God by love and joy and peace and faithfulness and etc. Same as Paul said in Galatians. And we'll also have the spiritual gifts that God spoke about through Paul. You know, knowledge, wisdom, faith, the converting faith, doing works of healings, works of miracles, even speaking in tongues. So today I ask, all that are listening, that will ever listen to this message, judge yourself now to determine where you're at with Christ. Because God gives us throughout Scripture all these different, like, you know, clues. Hey, by the way, if you're good, hey, this is what you're going to see. Hey, if your tree is good, you're going to give good fruit. Your tree is going to be good. But if you're putting off mm, thorns and thinking, oh, that's, that's not good. Hey, look at your light in you. If the light that you see within you, well, is, it, is, it, is it really light? Are you really shining for Christ? Or, you know, is it darkness? Be warned. And so, ladies and gentlemen, just because you may think you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian. Are you a Christian according to the Word of God? Do you have God's thumbprint on you? Do you have God's spiritual gifts within you? Are you operating in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering, and self-control? Are you, are you, is that you? Judge yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And he says, he goes on to say, that when they come to him, they go, oh, well, Lord, we did this, we did that. He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. 
Because you know what? You maybe were mine or not. It doesn't really matter. You decided to live a way that was contrary to me. So be gone. I never knew you. And I don't want you to be that person sitting under my teaching, sitting under listening to my sermons. I'm not going to lie to you. You're either saved and you're walking with Christ or you've been saved and you've walked away or you've never been saved and then you're not walking with Christ and your end's going to be destruction. Judge yourself. What's in you? How do you live? Do you operate in these gifts? Are you walking in the Spirit of God? And, t- and judge yourself. And you talk to God about it, what I said today. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this message. And thank you, Lord, for Lord, all the different things that you tell us in your word, Lord. And thank you, Lord God, that we have your word always to go back to. Lord, no matter what people say or what doctrines people have made or whatever people have brought up or thought up, Lord God, we always thank you, God, that we have your scripture. <laughs> thank you, Lord God, that we can go back to the, to the book, that we can go back to the written word and we can say, oh, is that really true? Well, let me, let me investigate it. Let me, let me check it out for myself. Let me, let me see what the truth is. You didn't, just, you didn't just say some things one time thousands of years ago and then said, oh, you know, I'm going to speak those. Yeah, that's, that's good enough. I'm saying, no, 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 Lord, you, you wrote it down. It's kind of like that stop sign, Lord, on the highway. When we're driving along, oh, what's the speed limit? What's the speed limit? And then they say, oh, it's only 65. Oh, I better slow down. So, oh, Lord, that's like your word. Lord, your word. Your word is that written way to live for you. Your word is your written way to come to you. Your, your word is your written way, how you are, your characteristics, things you love, things you hate. And Lord, I thank you that we have it. Now, I just pray, Lord God, for those listening, and even for all my friends and those I pray for every day, Lord God, if, if they're not, if they don't have that fingerprint of yours on them, Lord God, I, I pray that they'd come to repentance, Lord. And I pray that they would repent and they would change their mind of how they think about themselves and about you and that they would turn to you, Lord God. And that you would, they would let you, they would allow you in to their fortress of, of, of impenetrableness, Lord, where they open the door and wave the white flag and they say, Jesus, come in, I need you. I, I'm sorry, I don't have you. Lord, open their eyes and bring them to you, Lord, if they're not yours. And then, Lord, if we're yours, Lord, I pray that we would just practice the things that you've given us, Lord. And even, Lord, seek your face, Lord, if we feel, I had like that, that we'd even seek your face if we, if we want more spiritual gifts, Lord. That we'd seek your face to do that, Lord. We'd be obedient to... to Use what you've given us in a way that honors you. Not just have the things and not do anything with them, Lord, but have these gifts and do something with them, Lord. Something that'll bring you fruit when you come back. Something you can glean from us. Oh, I gave you three talents. Oh, how much do you have? Oh, you only have one and a half to give me back? I want to give you nine, Lord. If you give me three, I want to give you nine back, Lord. I want to triple the, the gifts that you've given me, Lord. And Lord, I pray that over all the people listening, Lord. Pray that they would multiply the gifts that you've given them for your kingdom, for your glory, to bring people to you and to make you just known throughout the whole earth. Thank you, Lord God. And I pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.